0: Welcome to Illinois Family Spotlight, a conversation about issues of the day from a biblical perspective, as well as highlights from interviews, conferences, and events. Here's Monty Larrick.
1: Thanks for making Illinois Family Spotlight part of your day. Thank you, Jenna Smith, for that introduction. Jenna serves with IFI. And she joins me for this edition of Spotlight. Life activists are praying the Supreme Court will use a case challenging a Mississippi pro-life law as a venue for overturning the 1973 decision that legalized abortion in the U.S. The high court expected to issue its ruling in June. Dr. Steve Jacobs believes a majority of justices will decide to overturn Roe v. Wade. Dr. Jacobs is the program director for Illinois Right to Life. He's a writer and public speaker. He has a law degree from Northwestern University and a Ph.D. from the University of Chicago. Somehow he still turned out conservative. (laughs) Uh, Dr. Jacobs and I serve with the Speak Out Illinois Pro-Life Coalition. Dr. Jacobs, you heard the arguments before the Supreme Court back in December. And since that time, justices have allowed the Texas pro-life law to stand. Why do you believe the High Court will overturn Roe and send the abortion issue back to states to decide?
2: So I first off, thank you very much for having me on this podcast. It's a real pleasure. And I was convinced that they were going to overturn Roe v. Wade in the Dobbs case on May 17th, the day that they decided to even hear the case. So it's very, very rare that the Supreme Court agrees to hear a case. It's about 1% of cases. But when you're considering a potential threat to Roe, Why would the court agree to hear that challenge unless they had the votes to overturn it? Right. So only four votes are required to hear a case, but five are required to, you know, deliberate in a decision, to have a majority decision. So once they had made that decision to hear the case, I thought that was really clear indicia that they were gonna overturn it. But like you mentioned, Monty, the fact that they allowed Texas heartbeat law to go into effect which essentially renders Roe no longer good law in this nation, not only in Texas, but throughout the nation. Because if they allowed that law to go into effect, they would allow similar legislation in each of the 50 states to go into effect. So if Roe stood for the proposition that states could not restrict abortion access before viability— but here, states can restrict it at the fetal heartbeat, which is the sixth week of pregnancy, well before viability. Clearly, it's no longer good law in this nation. So, I think it it only follows that, especially after watching the or listening to the December first oral arguments, I think it's just clear that uh, Roe is about to be overturned. And we see the pro-abortion left has made this abundantly clear in the New York Times, New York Magazine, just everything that you could read on Roe. It's clear that we're headed towards a post-Roe America.
1: Steve, during a rally in Chicago, you indicated that you were less than pleased about the state's rights reasoning the Mississippi Solicitor General gave during oral arguments before the high court. What are your reservations?
2: Well, I think it's helpful to first consider what it actually means to be pro-life, So when we say we're pro-life, does that mean we're just anti-abortion or does that mean we are for the right to life of the pre-born? And that's what this uh, whole movement was founded on the proposition of equality, that all humans are equally deserving of rights. And that means whether they're born or pre-born. If you focus on a state's rights approach, it's not about the pre-born human then. It's about a state's right to restrict conduct, to punish conduct. So if you go with the state's rights approach, first off, just in the spirit of it, it's really putting the wrong emphasis. It's emphasizing a state's right to pass criminal laws versus a preborn uh, human's constitutional right to life. So just in terms of the spirit of it, the principle of it, it's off. But then when you look at the actual consequences of it, if you go with the states' rights approach, so if the Supreme Court overturns Roe and says that states basically gets out of the abortion space and says states can pass whatever abortion uh, legislation they want, then you're going to see a very divided nation where, I would say, within the next five years, 30 states would ban abortion with heavy criminal penalties, and then 20 states would not only permit abortion, but they would actually lure women from other states to their states to have abortion access with you know, taxpayer-funded abortions. So I, I just... First off, as pro-lifers, that should not be sufficient to us. Right. If women are just able to travel you know, throughout the country for their abortions, then the abortion rate won't go down that much, yeah. and the preborn will not be protected. And that's, at the end of the day, why we're here as a pro-life movement.
0: Yeah. I wanted to ask, uh, you believe that there is a 14th Amendment, a quality under the law argument, to be made for the unborn. Now, we have science to back that up.
2: Absolutely. So the 14th Amendment, it was, uh, first off, it was written and ratified to extend legal protections to all humans. Right. Because at the time, there was a way of... Uh, basically reading what it means to be person to exclude African-Americans in the famous Dred Scott decision, right? So the 14th Amendment, uh, those in the 19th century who were responsible for it, they made it clear that this extended to all weak and helpless human beings. Mm -hmm. So any human of any kind is deserving of equal protection of the law. doesn't matter if you're a 75-year-old Chinese woman or a pre-born human. It doesn't matter what your race is, what your age is. Now the the science that we have is now we we first off we knew this in the early 1800s we knew that fertilization was when a human's life began, but now through fetal uh, ultrasound technology, yep. through um, you know in part a study I did on biologists' opinions around the world where I found that 96 percent affirm that a human's life begins at fertilization. I think it's you know it's not even a question whether or not a preborn human is a human. Now the question is whether or not they're deserving of that protection of the Fourteenth Amendment. Mm-hmm. So three of the members of the Supreme Court that rendered its decision in Roe, they later in the eighties they wrote in a Supreme Court decision that if there was no difference between a fetus and a human, that a preborn human would be deserving of protection under the Fourteenth Amendment.
1: Mm-hmm. So they made
2: it clear that this would extend to preborn humans if you could establish that they're a human. Now that we know that they're humans, there's really no question as to whether or not uh, they deserve protections under the 14th Amendment.
0: That's awesome. And that's why we should go back and look at Roe.
1: Yeah, I would agree. So the 14th Amendment, if if I recall, was used Mm -hmm. to legalize same-sex marriage. So we're taking something out of their playbook here.
2: Yeah. So interestingly enough, when they legalize same-sex marriage, when they actually use the 14th Amendment to protect abortion you know, rights—I'm doing quotes right now for the listeners—so uh, the right to abortion, they use the 14th Amendment, but they use what is called substantive due process. Basically, I mean, you could argue like a legal fiction, a legal concept that they created— to use to guarantee whatever rights they thought were implied in the constitution as opposed to actually written but when it comes to the equal protection clause there's no implication to that It's explicitly written that all persons are equally deserving of rights, and then when you look at what person actually means, not only through what the 19th century uh, ratifiers of the 14th Amendment, what they meant, Mm -hmm. but also what Supreme Court justices have read that to mean, including pro-Roe justices, it's just without a doubt that it applies to all humans. And the biggest example I use is when those who talk about states' rights and they say that... It's an issue for democracy to decide, right? That states should decide what their abortion laws are. I ask, what if Texas amended its homicide laws so they only protected citizens born in Texas? So they no longer protected undocumented immigrants who came into their states. Are we really going to say that the Supreme Court would sit on its hands and say, well, it's an issue for democracy to decide whether or not humans deserve protection? It is... A laughable argument. It's actually unconscionable when it comes from pro-life leaders. Mm. Uh, personally, it, that it irritates me to no end. It's one thing to say strategically we should start sw- start with the states' rights approach and then lead to the fetal rights approach, but when somebody says the Constitution does not guarantee rights to the preborn, I just I don't know how they could square a true pro-life commitment with a logical reading of the Constitution.
1: You know I. I... Recall seeing some signs at the March for Life in Washington that said equality begins in the womb. It's it's a great point to make, isn't it?
2: Absolutely. And I, I know, so I know life is in our name, right? We're a pro-life movement. I don't think that's actually the spirit of what our movement is, though. And that's part of the reason why I think concept creep has adulterated our movement, where people talk about how we need to fight equally for housing as we do for, you know, the pre-born. Yeah. Because what, what really is at the essence of our movement is equality. It's the notion that if all of these other humans, these born humans, have the right to life, so too should the pre-born humans. So it's not actually about life, it's about equality. And the early pro-life leaders, a lot of them weren't religious, you know, they didn't have faith convictions, they were just human rights advocates, and they just noticed. What the heck? Here's a space, you know, in my day job, I'm fighting for people's right to reasonable rent prices. But then there's this huge group of humans who are being killed with legal impunity. It's just unthinkable. So I loved how the March for Life in D.C., that they adopted that moniker, that this is about equality. And really, from somebody who's trained in human rights, has taken a lot of courses in ethics, I mean, that's what brought me to this movement. It wasn't just about the babies, you know, which obviously I have a huge heart for. It was actually about the injustice, uh, the inequality. That's really why I'm here.
1: But here's a challenge in Illinois. Yes, sir. What pro-abortion proponents call the Reproductive Health Act Crafted and passed by Democrats in the legislature, signed by Governor Pritzker,
0: and very ironically named.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, essentially denies all recognition for the rights of the unborn. So, does the Fourteenth Amendment argument to the U.S. Constitution get around that? Yes, here in Illinois.
2: Yeah, so uh, due to the Supremacy Clause, basically, the the U.S. Supreme Court, you know, uh, all you have to do is look at, like, school segregation, right? When there was race-based school segregation, it wasn't the case that a state could simply uh, amend their Constitution to say, black and white people are not allowed to be educated together because the Brown v. Board uh, decision preempted that. Yeah. So, uh, and I, I find it funny that they felt the need to declare that the preborn do not have rights. That mm-hmm. reminded me a bit about uh, the Lady Doth protest too much. Why would you have to go out and say that they don't deserve rights if you don't think they deserve rights, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, why is that even a question? I mean, there's no question as to whether that box in the corner deserves rights. They knew the this moment. day was coming. Yeah. And I I think it's just pretty obvious that they thought that they could somehow like preempt the Constitution or a Supreme Court decision when really that was just virtue signaling. That was just giving chum to their side. Um, And it, it was unfortunate, though, because that to see that codified into law, to see that level of discrimination and inequality. I mean, like I said, this was as if, you know, a southern state in the 1950s literally amended their constitution to say that um, no African-American has the right to e- equal treatment. And yeah. So it's really detestable. I know it's just a tactic on their side, but just as, as somebody who's trained in the law and trained in human rights, I mean, it is detestable.
0: And if you think about the whole mantra of the left it is equality, 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 and they're being hypocrites.
2: Oh, I... I mean, the the joke, and I'm sure uh, listeners of uh, and uh, supporters of Illinois Family Institute have heard this before, but uh, if the left has any standards, they're double standards, right? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, we really shouldn't be surprised about that tactic. But, I mean, that, I think you bring up such a good point, Jenna, because... That's basically the the basis of my scholarship is the notion that you have to meet people on their playing field, right? Yeah. So even if you as a Christian pro-lifer, even though you believe that the authority of the Bible, and I'm not saying I don't believe it, but the authority of the Bible is how you should advocate for the pro-life cause, if the other side doesn't even recognize the authority of the Bible, you have to meet them where they are. So if they're into equality, if they're into human rights— Is there a way to use those concepts to help them see the injustice? And in my opinion, it's just a clear-cut case. And all it requires, though, is to confidently uh, establish the preborn as humans. And then once you establish them as humans, you point out the fact that the 14th Amendment applies equally to all humans. And really, the argument's done there. And uh, even in Roe, most people don't talk about this, in the Roe decision, they said that if fetal rights were established, the case for abortion rights would collapse. So it's not even a matter of, oh, how do we value the right to life of the preborn against the right— no, 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 no. And the decision even said that, right? So by saying that abortion could be restricted after viability, it shows that the right to abort comes secondary to the right to life of the preborn human. That's incredible.
1: Incredible. We want to continue our conversation with Dr. Steve Jacobs from Illinois Right to Life right after this. Do stay tuned.
3: Here's an old answer for a newer problem. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street with the point. The U.S. is facing an aging population, a shortage of caregivers, a dearth of affordable housing, increase in social isolation that threatens well being. This is what Claire Ansbury of the Wall Street Journal wrote in January. And it's true. COVID 19 only deepened an existing crisis for seniors who are both susceptible to the virus and prolonged social isolation. Solutions needed. But in the words of Ansbury, some think what we need is magic. She's referring to an acronym coined by geriatrician william thomas it stands for multi-ability multi-generational inclusive co-living the idea is to build new neighborhoods where young and old families and singles live side by side supported by inclusive design technology and neighbors now if this sounds like a good idea it's because it's modeled after an older much deeper good idea the family not just parents and kids but extended families we're all part of god's design to protect and care for one another especially as we age for the colson center i'm john Stone Street.
1: Thanks once again for joining Illinois Family Spotlight. Monty Larry here along with Jenna Smith with Illinois Family Institute, right? That's right. Okay. Last uh, I checked. And (laughs) you hear the opening and the close of the program. Well, that's Jenna's voice there. Uh, We're speaking with Dr. Steve Jacobs with Illinois Right to Life. Steve, uh, your organization really in the front lines of the life movement right here in Illinois. You've got your work ahead for you, uh, especially... If the Supreme Court overturns Roe versus Wade, what changes for Illinois' right to life if that happens?
2: I mean, the the saddest thing is the absolute explosion in the number of women who will be seeking abortions in Illinois. Mm. So to say that we will become an abortion destination is a severe understatement. The very pro-abortion Alan Guttmacher Institute, so this was initially founded as an arm of Planned Parenthood, they have recently uh, reported data that suggests 100,000 women who live outside of Illinois. An abortion clinic in Illinois is the nearest clinic for them, right? Yeah. But that number, if Roe is overturned, is expected to go up to 8.9 million. Holy smokes. So we just recently, uh, there was a, a report in the Chicago Tribune that found 2020, compared to 2019, there was a 29 percent increase in the number of women from out of state who got abortions. This uh, represented, uh, I think, 10,000 overall came mm-hmm. to Illinois for their abortions. So when you consider that number of women who are closest to Illinois abortion clinics going up by a factor of 89 times, I mean, it's just unfathomable how many women and, and that's just talking about who is the closest physically. We have to imagine if a woman is somewhere in Missouri and maybe they could go to Nebraska or another state, or they could come to Chicago, which is a place they've always wanted to visit. You see that we have uh, lawmakers and businesses in Illinois who are actually trying to lure women into our state with promises of free hotel rooms, free abortion access. Yeah,
0: make a weekend of it.
2: Ah, I mean, I hate to even say it, but I think that's what the psychology will be for them. So I don't even believe that 8.9 million, I'll bet it's 20 million is the number of women who would be most likely to come to Illinois for their abortions. Mm. So you're going to see an absolute explosion in the number of abortions in our state. You
1: said 20 million. Do you mean to say that
2: I mean I, so that's just conjecture I don't know the number I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was 50 million because like I said I mean you, you have to ask yourself if you're if you're in a red state you know somewhere in the Midwest which basically we are we are this uh, desert of, of fetal rights when you think about it right All of the neighboring states are going to ban abortion so even if you talk about a, a person who let's say they're closer to Washington State right? Mm-hmm. But would they want to go to Washington State versus Chicago when, like you said, you make a week- weekend yep. out of it? We have O'Hare. We have a big international airport. So I just, I, I, there's such action here. I mean, I, God only knows how many people are going to come here. But whether it's 1 million or 10 million, we're, we are going to see death on a scale that we've just never seen before. So
1: what do we do to try to counter that? What's our path forward?
2: Uh, so Illinois Right to Life, um, uh, and it'll be great. Uh, I hope uh, A- Amy Gurky, my boss, will uh, end up on the podcast, and uh, she'll talk more about our three-tiered plan. But basically, the, the, the most important thing is for people to understand just how bad the situation in Illinois is. So for them to understand just how few protections we have of the preborn, the, not only of the preborn, but of their mother's. So you look at Mm -hmm. what the Reproductive Health Act did in 2019, eviscerating virtually all pro-life laws that we worked hard for over the course of decades. And then you look at the fact that they just recently um, repealed the Parental Notice of Abortion Act. So now we don't only have women who might be coming on their own volition to our state. Unfortunately, you're going to see underage girls. I mean, during one of the hearings about the Parental Notice Act, uh, the repeal, One of the advocates for the other side, they said that you're a bad parent if you somehow allow your daughter to come to Illinois for their abortion. It's not a matter of allowing them. You drop your daughter off at school, her boyfriend, who is likely overage based on what we know about underage pregnancies, who's likely overage, and he picks her up he brings her over state lines for an abortion, he might have her back in school by lunchtime. So I, I just think there's really no way for us to, to stop it other than through education. So we yeah. need to not only be educating people in Illinois, but people throughout the Midwest, because they all have parental notice laws or parental involvement laws. So they need to be educated on the fact that Every time their underage daughter leaves their site, there is the possibility that wow. they're actually going to be brought to Illinois for an abortion. And not not only is the abortion devastating, but what about the wake of it? What about the physical and psychological issues that arise out of it? Yeah. And at least if the parents knew, they could be there to support her. But I mean, first off, if she's not even telling her parents about it, she's definitely not going to tell them about it when something goes wrong, yep. when she needs them the most. Yep. So our work is, cut off for us, uh, Monty. uh, But I I think, you know, there's a reason to to have hope. And that's that once the Supreme Court overturns Roe, that is now a pro-life mandate. People don't realize a lot of the support for for abortion is embedded within their support of the Supreme Court and Roe. So there's a reason why most pro-abortion people believe that a human's life begins at viability. It's not because there's any science or arguments behind it. It's because that's what they read Roe to have determined. They didn't actually determine that, but that's that's how it's messaged, right? So when the Supreme Court, if they declare, even if they don't establish fetal rights, if they just declare that it is a human at fertilization, the moral weight behind that, the influence that that'll have on not only Illinoisans, but people throughout the country, it's going to be profound.
1: So it sows the seeds. For people to think about this, even in Illinois, where the law codifies Roe versus Wade uh, here in Illinois. So you're sowing the seeds of, well, maybe we need to think about this again.
2: That's right. And, and I think the biggest thing is, and maybe I'm uh, too much of an optimist, I've definitely been accused of that. And I am the, the guy who's ready to eat a lot of crow if Roe is not overturned, <laughs> because I've basically declared that it will happen. Uh, Mike Pence, our former vice president, recently said he believes in his heart that it will be. And, you know, a lot oh, of great, great people have said this. But uh, I, I think the, the, the biggest thing is that most people do not want to break the law. Most people are not bad people. They're good people who want to do what they believe is right. And unfortunately, they're being misled today about what is right. And part of that is the, you know, supposed authority of the Roe decision. And when that is removed, I think you're going to see a lot of women who, and and we know this just because in the pro-life movement, we've heard from so many women who got abortions before, uh, who did not get abortions before Roe because it was illegal and who've said they only got abortions after Roe because it was legal. Mm. So if you have a woman in Nebraska and she knows that it's a homicide in her state to have an abortion, that her doctor could go to prison for performing an abortion on her because that pre-born human deserves rights, I, I just do not think that we're going to see... As many women running for illegal abortion access as much as the other side would try to have us believe.
0: I wanted to go back to your point on educating the populace to impact change. My generation, Generation Z. You zoomers. um, Yes. Um, (laughs) how can we as in people my age that are pro life, how can we talk to our friends that are pro choice about this issue and especially girls that can undergo abortions now that parental notice in Illinois is gone. How how can we talk to them about, you know, this is not right?
2: Yeah. And uh, first off, that's a fantastic question. I think that at the end of the day, there's nothing more important than reaching people when they're young yes. because so many become so solidified in their beliefs. Maybe, maybe they live their lives in such a way where now they need to defend abortion access in order to protect themselves from possibly their own guilt or shame associated with abortion. Uh, but now I'm, I'm a little more left-brained, so my approach is more logical. My approach is more so kind of like in evangelism. We're told to stay on the cross, right? Yeah. To not get distracted by you know why do young people die of cancer why this why that to stay on the cross his sacrifice right similarly to stay on the humanity of the preborn there's no reason to get caught up in discussions about rape and incest and all of these you know extraordinary circumstances but just the notion that it what is this thing right is it a preborn human if it is a human then what does our law say about equality amongst humans? You point them to the Equal Protection Clause. So, I mean, I I think there is a clear path forward. But if you want to bring in the emotion, I think giving people a sense of the scope of abortion is particularly profound. So when you consider that 56 million humans are killed in abortion every year around the world, means a billion since the year 2000 to try to put that into perspective that that 56 million that die every year from abortion that's the same number that die from all other causes combined obesity old age cancer aids all manner of disease and accident so when you consider just the scope of this I, i i just think that that hits people in a way that you know, when, when you hear about, you know, one out of three women have an abortion, it just doesn't have mm-hmm. the same profound effect as when you consider the massive loss of human life and human potential.
0: Yeah.
1: Steve, we're expecting the Supreme Court to rule in June, uh, maybe toward the latter part of the month. hmm What should we as Christians, as life activists, be doing in the run-up to that? Uh, prayer- Absolutely right. And what else?
2: Uh, So first off, uh, not only prayer for an outcome, but prayer for his will to be done. Like, I I think at the end of the day that that's an opportunity for us all to grow as Christians, to realize that first off, this world is not necessarily designed to be right and just if you read your Bible. So to to just allow the fact that we're not in control of outcomes, right? We're the people who are supposed to do what is right and to just kind of trust in, in God's will. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to pray, not only praying for his will, but praying for strength, for the Supreme Court justices, because one cannot imagine the kind of pressure that they're under. And we don't even know about the bad faith actors who are possibly threatening them behind closed doors. I was at the Supreme Court when Chuck Schumer, a sitting US Senator, threatened the Supreme Court justices in front of TV cameras, saying that he would come after uh, Justices Kavanaugh and Gorsuch if they came after Roe. So I think they're under, you know, extreme stress. But I think the biggest thing is since we know that the end is, is nigh, right, since we know that Roe is about to be overturned, we need to start preparing our friends, our families, and our neighbors so they do not get misled by the media on what that decision means because they're already building this narrative right that the only reason roe is changing is because the ideological makeup of the court changed right that it's just a power game now that there's enough uh supposed conservatives on the supreme court that's the only reason that mm-hmm. they're overturning roe when the truth is ba- based on what uh, very liberal supreme court justices and law professors have said Roe should have been overturned the day after it was written. Wow. And therefore, it's not that conservatives coming onto the court is the reason why it's going to be overturned. It's that there's finally not so many, we'll say, um, you know, living constitutionalist justices, justices who believe in making the law instead of interpreting the Constitution as it was written, that now there's just not enough of them to prevent justice from being done.
1: Dr. Steve Jacobs, Illinois Right to Life, thank you so much for your work, what you're doing. And uh, boy, uh, you've got a great website. People need to contact you if they have information or questions about, uh, if they have questions about where the fight uh, is now and where it should be going forward, they can go to you folks.
2: Yeah, so IllinoisRightToLife.org, and you could follow us on Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram. I mean, I am so fortunate to be part of a team where we are all truly dedicated. You know, it's sometimes I'm the true believer in the group, right? Yep. But we are all true believers, and we are all working tirelessly to not only protect the pre-born throughout the country, but throughout our state, and especially now that the battle is really coming here. I mean, I, I think you're going to see, when, when the history is all written on the abortion debate, Illinois is going to prove to be a true inflection point. I mean, we are right in the middle of the storm, and I I don't know how long it's going to take for us to finally win Illinois for life, but I can promise you it will be done.
1: All right, you heard it here from Dr. Steve Jacobs, Illinois Right to Life. Thanks once again, and thank you folks for tuning in. Please uh, support the work at the Illinois Family Institute, Illinois Family Action. Tell your family and friends about Illinois Family Spotlight. And until next time, stay healthy, stay active, and God bless.
0: For more information about Illinois Family Spotlight, visit ifiaction.org. And to email questions and comments, do so at feedback@ifiaction.org. at